Welcome to the Catch 'em and Keep 'em podcast with Melissa Glennie and Mark Altman. We're here to help you hire, engage, and retain the best talent to help you make your vision a reality. Hi, welcome back to the Catch 'em Keep 'em podcast. Mark, how are you doing today? Melissa, I'm just peachy keen. Well, you look kind of peachy keen, actually. I, I see the glow coming from behind you. Well, well, you know what it is, actually? This is the thing. I feel like after the last six weeks, you know when you reach that point where you're busy, but you feel like you've kind of caught up? Like, I feel like I'm almost at caught up, so I'm feeling a little excited about that. Well, I'm shocked and equally excited to hear you say that because I can't imagine how you possibly got caught up between selling a house and buying a place and raising a son and everything else that you have. Well, and football season starting. Oh, and there's another reason to be peachy keen. Right, exactly. (laughs) So all the other stuff aside. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly. So how are you doing, Melissa? I'm fantastic. You know, I... um, I've just been, I, I feel like I'm just swimming in serendipity lately, knock on wood. I, I probably shouldn't say that because it's all going to start crumbling down now. But I've just been hearing from companies I hadn't heard from in a long time. Our clients seem to be going, rolling along really strong. And so I was compelled to just jump onto the American Staffing Association website and look at the indicators because Frankly, when, when things aren't going well, I don't like to look at the indicators, but you know, I, I felt like it was safe maybe to do it. So um, yeah, I'm just really encouraged for all of us. And um, you know, the first, the second quarter of this year, the staffing index, which I don't, I'll just explain really quickly for people who don't know the right. staffing index. Uh, the staffing index ha- is something that is measured by the American Staffing Association, and it tracks slightly ahead of GDP. Like, um, phenomenally well through the decades. So if you want to know what GDP is, if you actually look at the staffing index, that it's a good predictor, it's slightly ahead. Um, so that being said, the staffing index was down by over 33%. I mean, I've never in my career seen anything close to that. Wow. So you, year over year, we were down in the second quarter by like, you know, Great Depression, catastrophic kind of numbers. But um, I'm seeing that, that we've come back to about a negative 16% year over year. And um, the economists surveyed are, are um, indicating that they're expecting about a 23% uptick in the third, in the, for the third quarter. So when they wow. do the, the analysis. So, you know, I, I, I feel like we need to be thinking as business leaders about, you know, how we're preparing to go into 2021. And then it just so happens that I know that this is the kind of the time that a lot of people are starting to think about budgeting. And, you know, we, we kind of look at staffing and, you know, salaries are the biggest expense for a lot of companies. So uh, makes a lot of sense, I think, to talk about, um, you know, evaluating what your staffing needs are going to be. But first, looking at the teams that you have and, you know, seeing if they're the appropriate teams and, you know, top grading and, and um, what you need to hire for and identifying those gaps. Well, Melissa, I got to tell you, you know, I want to make a statement, but I have a question for you. And that is that I I have this running joke when a company calls me and says, Mark, we need help with blank. That nine times out of 10, after I sit with them and review the challenges you're having, it's not actually what they need help with that they thought. And so for you, one thing I've always wondered about in your world is 
when people call you and say, we need a manager, we need a customer service person, we need such and such. I wonder, you know, it's a two part question. One is, do you ever run into the situation that when people think they need something, it's not actually what they need? And more importantly, is part of what you do for customers, helping them properly assess the skill sets or the requirements that they actually need? Mark, I'm so glad that you brought that up because sometimes I, I end up in a situation when we're partially through a, a process with a client or, you know, actually through it and then, you know, ready to actually, you know, rubber hits the road and pull the trigger on a hire. And I think there's something seriously wrong with my ears, except that I take notes. <laughs> and when I look back and, and, and I, I see the way that people can pivot through the process, um, it, it's become pretty clear to me that in a lot, a lot of cases, people will think they need something and they'll express what they think they need, but it's just surface level. And so when you start drilling, drilling down and peeling away the onion, for example, sometimes they don't even need help, as in a person, a staff. Right, right, right. They just need to um, communicate better. They need stronger vision. They need better leadership. They, you know, they need to just fix the problems within the team they have, and they won't need the extra set of hands. You know? So that's why I really, I really start from a very foundational place because otherwise you're, you're so right. We do end up risking wasting a lot of time and energy. Well, and I think one thing that's interesting about that is, let's say you had a company that called you up and said, you know, we need to hire a leader who's really got uh, motivation as a strength. The person's really good at motivating, inspiring, and influencing the staff. Well, the question to me is, uh, that may be true, but there's an overall skill set that you want in a leader that each company has as priorities from core values and core competencies in a leader. So how do you kind of help companies define what the right skill is? Because all leaders theoretically should be able to motivate and influence, mm -hmm. but it's more than that specific skill. So how do you kind of help companies hone in, like not only drill down on what the competencies are, but even as they're writing a job description, like how do you how do you help them do something like that? Well, you know, I think that when when you hear leader, it's very quick, it's very easy to jump to conclusions of what what attributes would be necessary, right? But um, I would say not so fast. I would still follow the same process that I take clients through, and that is first starting with a discussion about. You know, it, let's take for example a new position, a newly created position. Those yep. those yeah. tend to be my favorite. So I'll start by, by asking questions like, okay, so what would happen if you didn't fill this position? And let them tell me about that. Um, and if somebody's doing this, by the way, on their own and kind of anal uh, um, analyzing things on their own, then I suggest even like writing a page about that. And then ask the question a different way and say, okay, so what is going to be different as you go forward as a result of this, this person being on, uh, in place? Um, and then we just kind of drill a little bit further into um, some of the um, key essential functions. So the, what are they going to be spending the majority on? What are the biggest challenges uh, that they're going to face? What are the common problems that they're going to face? What constitutes failure? Um, what, um, well, there's another, another one that I really like to ask. Um, 
like what could be the most catastrophic thing? Like worst case scenario, what 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 would be the worst thing that could happen if they drop the ball? Um, and just kind of because all of those questions really flesh out what is essential. Because what I see happens with a lot of job descriptions is I get a laundry list, and people get confused about what someone is accountable to and what someone is responsible for. It's a great point. And so I really feel like it's so important to drill into what they're accountable to, because at the end of the day, you know, we're all responsible for customer service. We're all responsible for being financially, uh, uh, um, fiscally responsible, right? So th that those, those things are more surface level and, and you can give a little bit on that stuff, like, because everybody's doing that. Well, I want to ask you, Melissa, because, um, you know, you deal with a lot of HR people. And, and what's interesting to me is this term HR generalist. And whether you consider yourself an HR, not you personally, but whether an HR person considers themselves an HR generalist, let's face it, most HR people are HR generalists and they're having to juggle a lot of different responsibilities. And what's interesting to me about this is we're in a society now that really is focusing on convenience. So more and more businesses are trying to be one-stop shop, jack of all trades to everybody just for convenience. But most of the time in business, we're taught that when you're a generalist and you're doing a lot of things, you're not really an expert in any of them. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, um, do HR, does the typical HR, whatever that is, does the typical HR person have the requisite training to do the many facets of recruiting and hiring, such as writing and engaging an effective job description? You know, certainly I've met some along the way who I've picked up some great things from, but I'll just tell you one of my um, gripes about the HR community, um, which, you know, I love, I've been a part of it for 20 years, but which is why maybe I can tell you what my gripe is. <laughs> I feel like HR has turned into the department to, to avoid the company being sued. Mm -hmm. and, and it really breaks my heart because the, you know, it's a missed opportunity. And you know, I don't wanna to get too much on a salt box there, but um, I think that looking through a lot of the human resource management lenses from the, from the vantage point of avoiding getting sued um, it just doesn't serve the function very well. So, you know, the idea that, you know, we're, well, we have to hire all these people, but now we have to protect ourselves from being sued by them. Well, I, I have to tell you, you made me think of something right there because um, I also feel like HR has become a dumping ground. Yes. And, and the analogy that just occurred to me, and it's kind of weird, but it makes sense, are teachers and HR people. Because when we get frustrated and we, we look for blame and, and, and there's a scapegoat, it's very easy to blame teachers and it's very easy to blame HR. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting to me about that is I think, Melissa, that you can, as, as a professional, you can have simultaneous feelings about someone, right? You can feel like, wow, HR gets dumped on. And you can also feel like, their role has become streamlined on the wrong things, such as protecting the company from getting sued and feeling like HR just isn't equipped to do some of the other primary responsibilities, not because they don't want to, not because they don't care, but just because they're being pulled in certain directions. 
And, um, and you know, I guess that, that what I'm thinking is when you have to have a difficult conversation, because I'm, I'm dreading this, like, I have to do this sometimes, but when you are working with a client and they come to you with a job description, with the results of an assessment, with core competency requirements they want from the job, and you, you know this client, and you talk to them, you understand their wants and needs, and you know they're just wrong. Like, you know they're, it's not right, the, the thought process doesn't make sense, but they're not really asking you for your opinion. They're right. saying, Melissa, this is what we're doing. How do you handle that? Because that's gonna be really tough. It is, and you know, um, I feel for HR too, because I know HR generalists especially are in that position all the time where managers are telling them what they want and and i have those conversations with hr you know where they say you know i'm doing my best to massage the situation and that that's really you know it's a sale for me i look at it like a sales process i i, I look at a lot of the the processes that we go through in um both attracting candidates uh, the whole hiring process, and then even maintaining, you know, engagement with candidates. It's all very much, I know we've talked Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross before, it's all, always be closing, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, I think that HR and, and myself, the way I look at it, we have a huge responsibility to influence people um, because you, you can't tell them how they need to be running the departments or their business, um, but you can kind of walk them through a process and you know, test the water, test things this way. You know, trial, trial, close something here. Try and just kind of get the open their minds up a little bit. Well, and Melissa, you know, the, the, we have some symmetry in terms of what we each do because often I'm dealing with people. Uh, could be in HR, could be in learning and development. Um, someone in the C-suite who deals with learning and development for their organization. But that specific person hasn't necessarily been trained or has the background to be an effective trainer or curriculum developer. Just like in your world, someone in HR or a hiring manager might not necessarily have the requisite skill set to know how to interview, to know how to write a job description, to know how to identify the core competencies. But they just do it because that just morphs into their job description. So, you know, the, the way I see it in I hope our listeners know, I, I am not one to throw out um, platitudes or, or biased statements, but at the end of the day, if you're hiring Melissa or you're hiring me, what you're saying is that the people in place in your organization for those respective roles are generalists who don't have the proper training, who may not have the time or energy to dedicate to doing this well, and there's no shame in that. And Melissa, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that most of the time when we work with these organizations, the HR people, the, the, the hiring managers, they're thrilled to have the support. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like they're resentful because who are you to come in? They're like, great, because we have a thousand things on our plate. And if you can come in and help me, we're thrilled. And is that your experience? Yeah, it is. I mean, and I've been, and I think that, you know, your, your point earlier, HR generalists, um, the, they're stretched from every corner of the organization. You know, they, they, I really have so much respect for them. Um, but I, you know, I've had clients come to me and say, you know, why did you, why did you change our job, the job description that we, the, um, title that we gave you? It's, 
you know, it's not this, it's that. And I say, oh, I know, I know, but nobody's going to apply for what you gave me. According to, you know, the analysis that we've done, people are searching on XYZ terms. So that's why we chose the, the job uh, title. And you're like, oh, well, okay. You hadn't had time to think about that and wouldn't know where to go to get the information about what people are searching for. You know, this is analytics and, and social media strategy and, and uh, branding, messaging, things of that sort. They're, they're just trying to fill the hole because they've probably got 20 department managers, you know, knocking on their door asking, where's my people? Well, I got two questions for you related to that. One is, I'm working right now with a national organization that represents um, lumber company stores all over the country. And I was talking to one of their regional managers the other day, whose job is it to get additional members. So he calls on these companies and stores and says, hey, you should join our organization. We offer education, we offer this, we offer that. So one of the things he told me in the call is um, that a lot of the companies he speaks to struggles with recruiting and retaining good talent. And so we have, you're going to love this one. So we had this little exchange and I said, well, this is what I would ask them. If they say they're struggling with that because this organization can help them. I said, ask them, how do you recruit and retain talent? And he said, you know what I normally get for an answer when I say that? He goes, well, we, we, we use ZipRecruiter, you know, we use Indeed. And they start rattling off these job sites as the, that equates to effective recruiting. Right. And so I, I got to start there. You know, if someone said to you, you know, am I effective? Like, tell me, Melissa, am I doing everything I should be doing? Am I doing a good job? What would be your initial two, top two or three qualifiers to evaluate that? Well, my first question is always, well, what's the trend? Uh, are, you, are, are you getting better and better results? Are you getting the same results? or, and hopefully this isn't the case, but I know it happens. Are you getting very poor results and consistently poor results? So, you know, it, we, everything is, is changing for us constantly, you know, in a, in a recruiting shop, um, something can work really well one week. And then the next week is a new week and you have to reinvent things go stale. You know, that I don't know, I'm not a technical person, but however these algorithms out there work, and um, you know you have a phenomenal week with a particular advertisement, and then the next week it, you get crickets. So the, I always say there's no silver, silver bullet, but you always have to be on top of things and looking at, you know, what what can we tweak, um, and what what's changed. You know, ref, refreshing, and and um, just keeping on top of everything. There's new job boards. There's new tools that pop up all the time. Um, so uh, one tip that I always give hiring managers is to ask candidates where, um, you know, where they look, just, just out of curiosity, like, where are you looking for jobs? Where do you find, the, find your, your leads? And um, you just always keep a pulse on stuff like that. Um, but I think that, you know, also when we're, a lot of people confuse or they just don't recognize the difference between a job description and a job advertisement. And that's what I started to get at earlier when I got off of my tangent about, you know, legality and HR and such. Because um, I, I see job so-called job advertisements all the time that are really just a list of, of duties and sometimes even include some legal jargon, which is not 
you know, to me, that's just not compelling me to run to the organization and say, I want to work with you guys. Um, so, you know, I think that that's one place where we really try to work with our clients to um, create something that's going to fall on the right ears and, and resonate with them. So, you know, if it, it relates to both the place in order to get the messages to fall in the right ears, but then even more importantly, you've got to carry it forward so that it resonates with them. So I recommend starting um, the job just uh, postings with intriguing questions. Think of it again, just like sales, uh, starting int with intriguing questions that would hit at the heart of the person that you're looking for. And then go into something that's a, uh, an overview. In fact, I love following a format of what going into that section with the why join our team and giving them some, some of the why and the purpose and the mission of what you're doing and then how you can contribute. And tell a story. You know, people are gonna relate, are, are gonna relate if it's something that they can kind of wrap their, their, their minds around and kind of really almost taste it, feel it, touch it, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, what you need to bring to the table. So as, a, as opposed to requirements, you know, it's a little bit stale. Notice all, also everything that I'm saying is I'm speaking to you. Um, that, that really, I also find gives job advertisements legs. And, you know, we, we never want to close without a call to action. One call to action, not two, not an or. Um, ironically, um, we find that responses drop dramatically if you say apply now or email so-and-so for more information or whatever. If you give people two options, you lose them for some reason um, uh, in this business. The other thing, too, that I really recommend is in driving the, home, you know, the, the point home at the end of the posting, going back to that vision or that overview and then recapping with the essential requirements or what you need to bring to the table. So for example, you know, if you're passionate about X and you have demonstrated ability to X, Y, Z, whatnot, then, you know, this may be the next career opportunity for you. Something to that effect. So there, it's like when you're in school and you learn to write a story, how you open it up and then keep the continuity to the end. So you're just sort of bringing back that beginning at the end to drive your point home. Yeah. It's a job advertisement. Um, it, it doesn't it doesn't involve you know lists of of duties and such. It's really got to tell a story. Well, and when you think about applicants, what they're doing, and they've I mean they've always done or done it for a long time is they're trying to figure out like you mentioned the algorithms before. They're trying to figure out how to capture an employer's attention, mm -hmm. right? What's my cover letter? What keywords are on my resume? You know, is my resume engaging in the beginning and the top summary going to catch your attention? So applicants are taught all the time, how can I capture an employer's attention? Yet for some reason, when the shoe's on the other foot, which is what you're talking about, employers don't have that same focus and discipline on engaging people and capturing attention. And with unemployment, we've talked about this on past episodes, with unemployment rate as low as it is now more than ever, you need to capture people's attention, right? Mm -hmm. and, and the other point I'm going to make about capturing attention is, look, Melissa, you've heard me say this a hundred times since we've known each other. You've got to stand out, right? Because if I'm sitting there as a, as a, a great candidate 
and I'm Googling, you know, job descriptions and, and if, they all, if it looks like the same ones, it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. What are you doing as an employer to stand out from all the other companies and get noticed? It's that simple. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I love what you're talking about. And, and you know, Mark, I, I know we're, we're talking a lot about um, attracting candidates, uh, you know, uh, and with the assumption that you're going to need to add to staff or potentially replace staff as you're evaluating your teams and whether or not they're optimal and such. And I know you do a ton of coaching with your clients around um, effective teams. And what I'm curious to know from you is when you go in to help them assess if they have the right people, what, um, you know, what steps do you take? And if they determine that they don't have an, an optimal team, let's call it an optimal team, then, then what? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing I do is, and I usually, I don't try to create shock value, but it does tend to create shock value sometimes is, to me, the number one skill of a leader, and we could argue what the number one skill is all day long, but at the end of the day, to me is, can you coach and develop your team? You know, it's that simple. Can you coach and develop? So what I start out with, when people are struggling with leadership hires, retaining good leaders, um, whatever it is, that's the first series of questions. I'm like, do they do a good job coaching and developing people on their team? And if so, prove it. You know, what are the examples you can give me where they have consistently, not only consistently done it, have done it, but they have a process that they could grab onto and cling to and say, you know what, this is why I'm good at it. I do A, B, C, D, and E. And I'll give you a perfect example, Melissa. I'm working with an organization right now and we're talking about core values and my entire focus on core values is each of the leaders in the organization every week has to prove in our trainings how they how they model that core value that week and how they're recognizing those core values in their teams that week. Mm -hmm. It's all about modeling and recognizing. As a leader, if you can't model and recognize that's what coaching and developing is all about. I mean, that's a foundational piece. So I think that when we look at, and then, and then the other point I wanted to make is the other, the other now more than ever, it's always been is listening. Like, I want to know if your leaders are good listeners and you know, it's so hard for people, Melissa, to gauge if they're really good listeners. I mean, most people say, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good listener. But no, you can't just say, I think I'm a pretty good listener. What makes you a good listener? So ultimately, when I'm helping companies assess to complement the work you're doing, I'm trying to focus on core communication skills and listening and coaching and developing. And if, if whatever else they want out of the leadership team and assessing is important, but those are the pieces I'm looking at to say, you've got some good people or you need different people. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I agree a hundred percent with what you're saying. I think that, you know, lead, whenever there's um, issues in a team, you know, it, it always goes back to the leader and, and I've just seen it time and time again. And, and it's so interesting to me because I've worked with enough manage, department managers now for, for the last 20 years where, you know, I'll sit down in our first meeting and they'll say, yeah, you know, we have this problem and, and, and they point to a problem child and the focus goes on someone that if we could solve this issue that we're having so-and-so, then, you know, everything else would be all right. 
Well, and, and listen, let me add one other really important point. So you and I are fans of, of the effective use of assessments. Mm -hmm. So here's how I view assessments. If I was to give you an assessment, I'm going to evaluate, I'm going to review it, I'm going to make some recommendations. Um, but this is the thing about an assessment. If I, if I assess you and I review your assessment and the results tell me um, that you struggle with time management, Okay, let's just say that for the sake of argument, all right? So when people struggle with something, the first thing I wanna know is why do they struggle with it? Do they struggle because they don't care and they don't really wanna change anything different? Do they struggle because they've never had the training or support before? And I say that because when you're evaluating from top down and you're looking at people's skill sets and their capacity, keyword being capacity, capacity to grow, capacity to expand their skills, they've got to have the drive or the passion. So when, when, when we evaluate and assess, I'm not bothered when, if you have weaknesses, I'm bothered with your mindset related to those weaknesses. And that's why assessments are useful as a piece of the process, but they can't be the whole process because it just goes much deeper than just answering questions in one to 10 to know where you're strong and where you're weak. And I love the, the assessments that you've put together. And those, uh, I, and I, I know a lot of assessments, I've been working with them for 20 years and I've always had, um, you know, some of them are some pretty impressive and, and, I, and I enjoy doing them because they're just insightful for me. And, and um, but yours, I think, particularly get at the root of people's mindsets in a way that others just sort, sort of skim the surface. Well, and Melissa, thank you. And, and one other thought on that I would say is one of the other things I try to teach organizations about assessments is if you're assessing an entire team or a, an entire leadership team or an entire team in general, I say to them, before you even do the assessment, you need to ask yourself a very important question. If you're giving this assessment to 12 people, how many of the 12 people need to collectively show a problem for you to go, wow, that's a problem. Because a lot of people might say, well, three of the 12 say it, that's 25% of the team, we've got some issues. Some people might say it have to be five or six. And I don't think companies are, are, are identifying that prior to the assessment, because mm -hmm. then you have people take an assessment and if nothing changes, it may be because you didn't think enough people are in pain. Mm -hmm. So I think that's an important detail also. You know, what's also interesting to me about assessments is that if you, if you ass assess the leadership team about what they think people need and you assess the people about what they need from the leadership team, yep. um, you know, I, I think leaders would tend to, to talk about things like technology and maybe social media skills or something and, or, or something tactical. Um, but by and large, I think when it comes down to the employees, their responses, it's really leadership. It's, it's leadership. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I think that's a fabulous point. It's like a parent and a child when they compare notes on what's, what's wrong with the child, the parent's going to say different things to the child. So that's, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I wanted to mention, you know, kind of also in, in the same vein of what we're talking about, one thing that I found really insightful for me uh, as I prepare to think about closing out one year and going into the next year is uh, the, a SWOT analysis. But um, 
what's been really valuable is doing a, a SWOT analysis as a team. So if everybody does the SWOT analysis, um, I, I have some training videos that I had put together about how to approach a SWOT analysis, because which, which I'll make sure we get it in the show notes so that, you know, if people want those resources, they can access them. But because um, a lot of times, you know, it's surprising to me how many people, it's a new concept. And, and it's still, even for those who've done it before, a confusing concept. So we all get on the same page. And then, um, yeah, bringing, bringing it all together around the table, it's so interesting um, as a leader, but I see the lights kind of popping on for everybody else on the team um, just to see the insights from everybody, you know, all 360 degrees. Yeah, that's right. And they're all, you know, we're all kind of in it together. So I love that, um, kind of starting that as we kick off, you know, our planning and, and the moves that we're going to be making for the coming year. So I just wanted to throw that out there. All right, Melissa, I have a really important closing show note I'd like to offer. Okay. So um, I know there's some concerns about Tom Brady's well-being after week one. <laughs> and I, I am not for or against Tom Brady. I just want to remind people that, um, it's week one, and he went, he's new on that team, and he went against a very underrated defense, and they have a ridiculously easy schedule. So I think the jury's still very much out on Tom Brady in Tampa, and all the Patriots fans are like, well, look at Belichick was right, and all these things. It's like, let's give it a little time. So before you place your bets. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I am excited that football season is back. And um, so what, what's your predictions about the Pats this year? Melissa, they, have, they literally have the hardest schedule in the NFL this year. They, they are playing such superior talent this year. I, I think that the upside for them this year is maybe 10 and six, worst case eight and eight. But I think it's gonna, I think they could be a wild card. I think they could make the playoffs as a wild card. But it's going to be a tough road. I mean, yeah. really tough. And not because of the loss of Brady. More right. so because of the talent they're playing. I think Cam Newton's going to be fine. So yeah. it's going to yeah. be tough. All What's right. your prediction, Melissa? I just want to see him keep running into the end zone. I mean, if, he, if Cam can keep doing that, then, you know. No, I was, I, I was, I was excited to see them just kind of keep marching it down. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's nice to have the um, dynamic of, uh, of running and throwing. Melissa, if we could ever get companies to be interested in sports predictions and knowledge, I'd be a zillionaire. Well, and, uh, and, and you know, the, the analogy of the dynamic, right? I mean, right. The, it, it plays. It all plays together. So much. So. <laughs> on right. that note. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you once again, Mark. Um, I, I hope this was valuable for our listeners and we'll, uh, we'll keep it coming. Awesome, Melissa. Have a great one. We'll see you next time. All right. You too. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for joining us on the Catch Him and Keep Him podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe so you don't miss us next time. In the meantime, remember that engaging your people is a daily task and recruiting is a process, not an event. If you need help, just ask. Connect directly with Melissa at franklinprofessionals.com and Mark at mindsetgo.com.